0: Again, it's a pleasure to be with you all. I've had the opportunity to worship with you a couple of times now. And um, you may remember that uh, I am from North Carolina, moved up to the Grand Rapids area. It'll be two years in September and enjoying this part of uh, the country and um, making new friends. My wife, Cindy, and I have been warmly welcomed and uh, we're just very much enjoying serving the Lord in this area of the country. I want to tell you uh, a story uh, from my land of North Carolina. Uh, The Outer Banks of North Carolina uh, came to be known as the Graveyard of the Atlantic where many ships have sunk over the years because the waters there are very treacherous and navigating the rocky shoals along the North Carolina coastline is very challenging. And along the Outer Banks there is a little town called Nags Head maybe you've heard of it, and uh, the legend goes that the land pirates who lived in that area in the 1700s would at night hang a lantern on the neck of an old horse, an old nag, as they used to call old horses, and at night they would walk the horse up and down the beaches, and of course at night, ships sailing in that part of the world were looking for safe harbor to spend the night, and you can imagine in the darkness of the night, them looking and seeing this lantern bobbing back and forth, back and forth, and kids, what do you think that looks like? a light in the dark night, bobbing up and down. It looks kind of like a ship, the light of a ship bobbing up and down. And so those who were looking for safe harbor would imagine that's a safe place. Let's turn in here and let's find safe harbor. And so they did. And, of course, as you can imagine, as they made their way in to the shoreline, they would run aground along the rocky shoals, and the land pirates would then move into the waters and loot the ship and steal the goods for themselves. And they say that to this day, even the old houses, a couple of hundred years ago, built from these ships that were dismantled, still stand, and the old name, Nag's Head, stuck. Have you ever been duped or deceived like that? Navigating not just rocky shoals of the shoreline, but most especially navigating the realities of your life can be very challenging. And so we stand in need of much wisdom. And wisdom is the art of knowing how to have a right relationship with God, with people, and with others in the world. It's not raw intellect. It's not about book smarts. It's not about a knowing that. Wisdom is a skill. holy spiritual skill that God gives. It is knowing how to navigate life by applying God's truth to life circumstances. And because God loves you, he speaks his truth to you in love by giving us many books of the Bible, but especially the old testament book of proverbs to grow us in this most important skill of wisdom wisdom the book of proverbs is written to help us grow in these ways and as we get oriented to the text before i read it let me just remind us that the audience to whom this book of proverbs is aimed is twofold on the one hand it's delivered to what the text calls the simple It's a phrase that captures that person who is immature in his or her faith, those unformed minds not yet given up to sin, but in danger of becoming deceived by sin. And yet the simple are wonderfully teachable and they're open to God's counsel. And so to these receptive hearts, the book of Proverbs is written. Now there's a second audience Not just the simple, but also the wise. And that phrase, the wise ones, refers to the seasoned and mature believers, those in whom moral insight and motives have gained a significant foothold, and yet, since growth in wisdom is progressive, Proverbs aims to help the wise excel still more. Now one word of orientation still more. The book of Proverbs begins in chapter one and the theme of the whole book is set forth in verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then from that point forward through chapters one through eight, we have a picture of a father and a son and they're taking a walk down a path. If you're a father, you understand the significance of getting your son or your daughter ready to be launched into life so that he or she can navigate the world they're about to go into. And that's what's happening in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 where a father is taking his son down a path and having ten fatherly conversations. The text, the chapters are punctuated by phrases like these. Listen, my son. My son, if you receive my words, oh, my son, do not forget my teaching. Ten fatherly talks. But then we come to chapter 9, from which... This morning's sermon is based. And in chapter 9, we come to the climactic conclusion of that father's counsel. And we, the reader, imagine yourself to be the son who is walking along the path, listening to the words of counsel from the father. And along the way, we come to this very important fork in the road. Listen carefully. Proverbs chapter nine, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, Let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. The chapter continues. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked Man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, You are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The chapter continues. And notice the contrast between how the chapter began and now how it concludes. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town calling out to those who pass by who are going straight on their way whoever is simple let him turn in here and to him who lacks sense she says stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant but he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, you have said to us that your testimonies are our counselors, that the unfolding of your words gives light And we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who works with and by the word to open the eyes of our hearts. To make them soft and receptive. And we pray that you would have that ministry in our hearts this morning. Oh Lord, would you so work, would you. Would you strengthen us, encourage us, comfort us where needed, convict us, revive us, turn us, so that we trust you and love you and are resolved to follow you all the days of our life. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's where I'd like to go in the next few minutes as the text guides us. First of all, we'll consider two different encounters. And we're gonna start on the outside of the passages, the beginning and the end, verses one through six and verses 13 through 18, beginning on the outside of the text, but then moving into the middle. Secondly, we'll consider two different responses to these two different encounters. And finally, we'll focus on the very center of the text and find the one deciding, the one controlling factor that makes all the difference. Let's consider these in turn. First of all, the two different encounters at the start and at the end. Did you notice Verses 1 through 6, Lady Wisdom. Verses 13 through 18, Dame Folly. What a contrast. And the text invites us to consider what are each of these women like. And we get to know what they are like through three sets of contrast. First of all, their preparations. Did you notice Lady Wisdom, she's diligent in building a magnificent house, verse one. She built her house. She hewn her seven pillars. She's diligent in making a sumptuous meal. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table, verse two. Now contrast woman wisdom with Dame Folly. Did you notice? She's brash and she's ignorant. Verse 13, she is loud, she is seductive, and she knows nothing. She's lazy, she's indolent. Verse 14, she sits at her house at the door. She's a lazy do-nothing. That's the preparation in contrast. Secondly, there's the invitation That are so very different. Did you notice verse 4 and verse 16? The invitation is the same in its content. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. It's the exact same message. But did you notice that the content spoken by these two women has a very different intent? Note the different elaborations of the same worded invitations. Lady Wisdom, her menu is genuine. It's very straightforward. Verse 5, come, eat of my bread, and drink the wine that I have mixed. In contrast, Dame Folly, her menu is shady, suspicious, seductive. Stolen water is sweet. Verse 17, it carries these sexual overtones of of adultery. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Verse 17, it carries the overtones of idolatry. And you get the sense as you're listening to Dame Folly, don't you get the sense that she's already had a few too many drinks. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Can you see it? Can you hear it? Their preparations, their invitations, thirdly, their objectives. Lady Wisdom. Her agenda is revealed in very plain spoken words. Verse 6, leave your simple ways and live. In contrast to Dame Folly, her agenda is concealed in unspoken words. Verse 18, but he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are are in the depths of Sheol. In 1977, I was, I was 14 years old, and there was a band called the Eagles. If you're close to my age, maybe you recognize the name of the band, and maybe you recognize the name of one of their most popular songs, Hotel California and the lyrics go like this there she stood in the doorway I heard the mission bell and I was thinking to myself this could be heaven or this could be hell then she lit up a candle and she showed me the way and there were voices down the corridor And I thought I heard them say, welcome to the Hotel California, such a lovely place, such a lovely place. Plenty of room at the Hotel California. Any time of year, any time of year, you can find it here. Last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax, said the night man. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Like the lantern, bobbing up and down, deceiving, to woo us into the rocky shoals. That's why we need wisdom. David Hubbard wonderfully comments on the book of Proverbs and this chapter especially. He writes, you can find Dane Folly's guest list by reading the daily obituaries. What appears to be a portal to pleasure is the corridor to hell. Bluntly, but truly put, her past guests are now ghosts. Is that not sobering? Are you not with me even as we hear these words from Proverbs finding ourselves thirsty for wisdom. Life is filled with so many traps, so many deceptions, so many beguiling, deceiving voices, and we need wisdom. And these two very different encounters right at the start remind us of our need for God to grow us in this all-important skill. That's, first of all, the two very different encounters. Now, this is significant. What do these two women signify? Tripper Longman, an Old Testament scholar, has been very helpful to me in this respect. He says that the key that unlocks the meaning of this text is the location of their houses. Lady Wisdom calls... From the highest places in the town, verse 3. Dame Folly takes her seat on the highest places of the town, verse 14. In the ancient Near East, the highest point of the city was the home of the gods. And so that's where you would find the location of their temple. And on the one hand, the true and living God who revealed himself to Israel and instructed them to build their house, the temple, on Mount Zion. On the other hand, the make-believe God of Baal, remember that Old Testament make-believe God of Baal, the God of fertility, the God who was believed to send the rains and make your garden grow? That God was thought to believe, thought to, uh, thought to, uh, to, to live, believed to live on Mount Zephon. And so in, in the reading of the Old Testament, the choice was this. Imagine that your God has delivered you from Egypt to Canaan and now you face a drought and you come to this fork in the road. Lady Wisdom becomes this poetic personification of the true and living God who counsels you and to embrace her will lead to life. On the other hand, Dame Folly is this poetic personification of the false gods of the nations who counsel you and embracing her will lead to death. And so which way will you choose? This way or that? But we're Christians, right? We're not living in the Old Testament era. We're living in the New. And when we follow this thread of wisdom from the book of Proverbs into the New Testament, we find that wisdom comes to full expression in the person and work of Jesus. Follow the thread with me. Isaiah the prophet sees the promised one from a distance as if standing on tiptoe and looking down the quarters of time and he sees the Messiah coming. Isaiah chapter 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And then we come to the New Testament and we pick up the gospel of Luke and he signals early on in his gospel that the promise of Isaiah is coming to fulfillment. Chapter two, the child grew, Luke writes, and Jesus became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And he's in the temple, and he's sitting among the teachers, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And he says to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And Luke comments, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And then we read of Jesus interpreting his own identity and messianic activity. Through this category, this lens of wisdom, Luke chapter 11, to the unbelieving crowds, Jesus replied, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. He's claiming to be the fulfillment of what our Old Testament text from Proverbs chapter 9 proclaims. He embodies wisdom to the critics who sized him up wrongly. Jesus replied, Matthew 11, the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And yet, Jesus says, wisdom, wisdom in your midst is justified by her deeds Likewise, the Apostle Paul also understood the person and work of Jesus through the lens of wisdom. Proverbial Proverbs chapter 9, wisdom. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. Colossians chapter 2, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now what does this mean for us? It means this. Here's the fork in the road. Our Lord Jesus is the beckoning figure of wisdom. To embrace Lady Wisdom is to embrace Jesus Christ. Dining with Jesus leads to life. On the other hand, The idol, any idol, is the beguiling figure of folly. And to embrace Dame Folly is to embrace the devil. And dining with the devil leads to death. And so the passage is asking us the question which will we choose? This way or that. Two very different encounters. But secondly, we move toward the middle of the text, verses 7, 8, and 9, because here we find two very different responses. This is a very important question. How can we know whether we are living under the influence of Lady Wisdom or living under the spell of Dame Folly? One important way that we come to know that is by the way that we respond to correction. We will image our master. The fruit of our lips will reveal the roots in our heart. Our horizontal reaction to someone who is correcting us in biblical ways will reveal our vertical allegiance, whether we are walking with Lady Wisdom or in the arms of Dame Folly. Notice the shift that takes place in verses 7, 8, and 9. No longer do we hear two women bidding for our hearts. Now we only hear the voice of Lady Wisdom the wonderful counselor, training us, teaching us two lessons. First, be very aware of the stubbornness of an unteachable fool. Did you notice? On the one hand, there is the wise, the humble, soft-hearted, receptive, teachable person. And on the other hand, there is the scoffer, the proud, the hard-hearted, the unreceptive, the unteachable, the self-exalting, the person who is wise in his own eyes. The text says, verse 7, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do you see how the alliance between Dame Folly and her disciples is so strong that her disciples are literally her spitting image. David Hubbard again writes, the arrows of instruction seem to bounce off their target and ricochet to strike the one who launched them. Has this ever happened to you? You reach out to help a person tripped up and trapped in folly and you end up getting your hand slashed in your effort to help. I remember the first time many, many years ago that I encountered and had a conversation with such a person. It was a couple who professed to be Christians. Their son, our son began to play with one another. But of course, when kids play things happen, right? Arguments, little skirmishes. And I noticed in relating to this neighbor, it was always, always, without exception, my son's fault. The fault of us and our parenting. Always. And I thought to myself, well, maybe if I if i just approach the conversation a little bit differently maybe maybe this person will will begin to see that actually they both were contributing it, it it's not just us it's also them but they would hear none of it there was closed ears it was not any humility or, or teachability has that ever happen to you where where you encounter a person who who is closed and your offer to help comes back at you in the form of injury done to you that's the first lesson beware the stubbornness of the unteachable fool the second lesson to be learned is learn the difference between the wise and the scoffer and choose your pupils wisely. Verses 8 and 9. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Once more. Dr. Hubbard, David Hubbard, helpful here. He writes, trying to coax one who mocks truth, morality, and wisdom to change his ways will only intensify his ire and turn him completely against you. Your efforts will only add insult to injury. Spite will be the tuition paid for your services. Better by far to spend your energies on the teachable. If you show them where they are wrong, they will shower you with appreciation and esteem. So open are the wise and the righteous that they take in instruction like nutrition and become stronger and stronger by it. Wow. Years ago, my wife Cindy and I were at a conference and we heard... Maybe you recognize the name Nancy Lee DeMoss. And she was contrasting the proud and the broken. And I'll just share a few of her contrasts that were so helpful. Because you may be wondering what's the difference? What's the contrast? Here are a few. Proud, unbroken people focus on the failures of others. Broken people, humble people, are overwhelmed by their spiritual need. Proud, unbroken people look down on others, but humble, broken people esteem all others as better than themselves. Proud, unbroken people have a demanding spirit, but humble, broken people have a giving spirit. Proud, unbroken people are driven to be recognized and appreciated. Humble, broken people have a sense of their unworthiness and are thrilled to be used by God at all, and they're eager for others to get the credit. Proud, unbroken people are people who are quick to blame others, whereas Humble, broken people accept personal responsibility and they can see where they were wrong. Proud, unbroken people work to maintain their image and protect their reputation, but humble people, broken people, die to their own reputation. Proud, unbroken people, they don't think they need revival. They think everybody else does. But a humble, broken person continually senses her need for a fresh encounter with the filling of the Holy Spirit. Two very different responses to two very different encounters. And so we come finally, and thirdly, to the center of the text. We move from two different encounters through two different responses, and now the one deciding factor, verses 10, 11, and 12. What is it that makes the difference? Recall, a father is walking his son down the path and giving him counsel. And the purpose is to help the Son recognize that both Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly bid for your heart. And so we must choose our allegiance. But it's so challenging. Discerning and choosing between these two competing voices can be so difficult to do. As a result, it's going to take wisdom and insight to discern between the two voices, and to choose Jesus Christ, our wisdom. How do we do that? The controlling cause is set forth in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is to recognize that God... Has ultimate authority over me. And so I will submit to him in reverence. And I will take him at his word as revealed in the scriptures. That's the fear of the Lord. But how is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? It's not as if it's the first rung in a series of steps up a ladder. No. The beginning of wisdom is intended like this. It's, it's like the way a pair of eyeglasses, when I put these on, it controls everything that I see. C.S. Lewis put it this way I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That's how. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It affects the way you see everything. It's the foremost essential controlling factor. And notice the flourishing effect. Verse 11, For by me your days will be multiplied, and your years will be added to your life. There are concluding words here in verse 12. Final words spoken firmly but lovingly to clarify the fork in the road. Notice what the text says. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. Meaning you personally will reap the blessings. But if you scoff, the text says, you alone will bear it. Meaning you personally will reap and shoulder the cursings. Think of it this way, as we close, and as we prepare for the Lord's supper. It's it's the story of three trees. Do you remember that? Good Friday. In the center. Is Christ crucified. One who might look. Very foolish. On the cross. And yet the one. Who is in fact. The wisdom from God. That's the first tree. Our Lord Jesus. Hanging on the cross. But there's a second tree. Notice the thief on the left. And listen to him scoff at Jesus. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But then there's a third tree, the thief on the cross to the right. And he says to the thief on the left, do you not fear God? We are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and his heart bows before him, the fear of the Lord. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Which will be our response to the man in the middle? The wisdom from God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Will we choose this way or will we choose that? We come to the table. We come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. And... um, Let me just say a few orienting words.